0: This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and listeners like you head to twoheadednerd.com and click donate, or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoheadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Jones! Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha and caverns deep below the metro area, it is episode 681 of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast. I'm your head number one. My name is Matt Baum and Marvel is pushing back Blade, Deadpool and their FF movie, leaving me wondering if we're ever actually going to get to this phase.
1: I am Joe Parktick, and that is the last time I let the Moloids write my half of the script. Oh, man. I'll be your head number two, and maybe we are looking at this all wrong. By the time FF does come out, Finn Wolfhard of Stranger Things fame will be old enough to play Reed Richards. Perfect.
0: He's already tall and lanky enough, that's for certain. You may notice Joe is joining us by cellular telephone today due to uh, the typhoon. We had. It wouldn't be a typhoon, I guess. The gust nado <laughs> we had in Nebraska. The, 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 the derecho. Yeah, the, the derecho. Yes. This week, the Cosmic Longbox is drinking blood and howling at the moon while we review and discuss
1: eight classic comic books of its choosing. After that, we'll set you up with our must-read picks for next week's comics. But as you can hear, the Cosmic Longbox is humming to life and ready for us to mount up and fly into the comic book time stream for back-issue review time in the Ziggurat!
0: It's almost Halloween, so we're in full spooktacular form with our CLB theme this week. We're taking a look at named comic book werewolves and vampires in a theme called Draculas and Wolfmans. Now, not all vamps can be Dracula, and not all wolf peeps can be the sexy kid from Twilight. So, Team Jacob. Oh, okay. I'm glad you know that's a thing. I am glad it's not in my brain. (laughs) So we're taking a look at some of the lesser-known creatures of the night and the spin the creative teams put on these cursed creatures. Joe, you'll be handling the Draculas, so why don't you get us
1: started? Uh, I mean, to be fair, one of my Draculas is actually Dracula. Yeah, no, I mean, that counts. I guess... There's uh, a Dracula. Sorry about that. (laughs) First up for me is Captain America number 253. It's Marvel Comics Uh, from 1980 was the year. It was, in fact one month into 1980. This is written by Roger Stern with art by John Byrne. That's right. It's Stern and Byrne. And here is your solicit, courtesy of comicbookrealm.com. It's time to Stern and (laughs) Byrne. Time to Stern and Byrne. Captain America is called to London where he is reunited with his World War II friends Jacqueline Fallsworth, the former Spitfire and Cap's teammate in The Invaders and Lord Fallsworth, no first name given, former Union Jack of World War I. There seems to be a slasher on the loose, and all the clues point to the invader's old adversary, the vampire, Baron Blood. One fun thing about Marvel's Golden Age is that it is largely a creation of the 70s and 80s. Not a lot of people know that. While Marvel did, in fact, have actual Golden Age heroes and team-up stories, there was no such thing as the invaders until they were created by Roy Thomas and Sal Buscema in the pages of Avengers number 71.
0: Yeah. that blows my mind.
1: Spitfire. <laughs> it's crazy. I know. <laughs> Spitfire, Spitfire and Union Jack didn't first appear until years later. Their history, like much of Captain America's is the product of retcon after retcon, but that didn't stop creators from treating their legacies. Like they were an important part of Marvel history. We see Cap reconnecting with that history in this issue, along with a dire warning about the return of a fearsome foe, Nazi Dracula Jerk Baron Blood. Cap returns to England at the insistence of his old friend, Lord Fallsworth, who is convinced of Blood's return despite all signs to the contrary. By the time we learn he's right, it's too late, and the fiend has kept America in his thrall. This is such a wonderful issue of a great run by Roger Stern and John Byrne. The script is full of deep history that Stern may or may not have been creating himself in that moment, and gorgeous art by Byrne. This two parter is what helped a very young Joe Patrick become fascinated with Dracula's, and this issue's cliffhanger was and still is truly chilling. Captain America 253 kicks off one of my favorite. Marvel horror stories from childhood. It totally holds up today. I'm giving this a buy it.
0: Yeah, it's funny because so horror comics were all the rage for a while in the 70s, and Marvel was heavily invested. And all the guys that were writing this stuff were huge fans of old school B horror. And you can see it even in the pages of this after horror comics kind of fell out of style. You know, they kept horror going, just they did it in the pages of Captain America and in the pages of uh, Spider Man and whatnot. So you can't just have Baron Blood be a vampire. He's a vampire with a supervillain costume on. <laughs> and he looks ridiculous. Totally ridiculous. He's got like big bad yeah, very ears. silly
1: supervillain costume. Yeah.
0: He's kind of a really skinny guy, you know, and lanky. So he looks ridiculous in a costume anyway. Even if his costume was cool, you'd be like, I don't know, man, maybe something a little baggier. <laughs> no, Baron Blood's cool as hell. He's not just a vampire. He's a Nazi. This book looks great. Although I will say... I feel like Byrne draws Jacqueline's head perfectly round every time
1: they show her. <laughs> well, you know, she—that's—that's that's something I did not mention in my review. This is Jacqueline, aka Spitfire, right before she becomes a vampire. Oh, really? Okay. Which, which will come up when I review uh, another book later in the episode. In this issue, she has been, like aged since World War II. So she's just a normal looking person. Yeah. You know, she's put on some pounds with a perfectly round yeah. head. She looks like an old lady. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> I'm just saying, I just got a basketball head. I'm giving this a buy at too. It was super fun. Baron Blood, great D list vampire character. I love him. Not that I love Nazis. Look, I, just, I just think he's an effective <laughs> bad guy.
1: <laughs> basketball head is a serious condition.
0: <laughs> it is. We already pissed off the uh, eggplant heads the other day. So let's just stay away from the basketball Egg- head people. All right. Egg- I'll be heading up your werewolf tour today, and it begins with Weird War Tales, number 93. It's from D.C. The year was 1971. I did not know it. J.M. Dematteis wrote this with art by Pat Broderick and John Salardo. Weird War Tales was an anthology war comic that featured sci-fi and horror aspects in traditional war stories, but it's probably most famous for the introduction of the creature commandos. Certainly not that loser. GI robot. I didn't want to talk about that dork, right? The issue sets up their... The GI robot was one of the creature commandos. No, he was not. There's only three... Is creature- a different robot? There's, there's no robot in the creature commandos. I'll get to it in just a second. The issue oh. sets up their introduction through the military's top secret Project M that made men into monsters that would fight for their country and turn the tide of World War II. Specifically, universal monsters like Frankenstein, a vampire, and Warren Griffith, a werewolf, codenamed Wolfpack. (laughs) Early in the war, Griffith was injured, and while in the hospital, the medical staff discovered that he suffered from actual lycanthropy. It's a thing. It's a medical condition where the patient believes they are a wolf. So, of course, Project M was able to take the wolf in his dreams and manifest it in reality, making him an actual werewolf. Only. He can't control the transformations, so Griffith changes from poor dumb country boy to growling murder monster and back, sometimes at the worst possible times. In this story, the creature commandos invade a Nazi castle, discover a plot to replace the allied leaders with robotic duplicates. As they smash their way out, we see Griffith turn back into country bumpkin during their escape, and it almost screws everything up. Now, this might be the only key issue of Weird War Tales because it's the first appearance of Creature Commandos. You know them. You love them. And it's a pretty fast-moving intro. I get it. This is how these anthology stories went down. But each character's origin story basically happens (laughs) off-panel. This guy thought he was a werewolf, so he we made him one with science. You don't need to ask about it. <laughs> Judging by the amount of info I found on Griffith, DC never really fleshed out his origin much more than this either. So this is what you get. Science made him a werewolf. Don't ask. <laughs> I love the idea of the creature commandos, though. They would go on to pop up here and there in 2000. Tim Truman wrote a short-lived Creature Commando series that I remember liking, but DC never really gave this team of military monsters the love they deserve. Like, this just seems like Grant Morrison could have really done something fun with this, you know? Griffiths gets points for actually suffering from lycanthropy, but not being able to control your transformation is an even bigger problem when it's not just based on a full moon, right? It's one thing where you forgot, oh crap, full moon tonight, I gotta tape myself to a chair, or whatever. It's another thing when you're getting ready to kill Hitler, and you leap in the air, and you growl, and you go, and then you transform back into the kid that couldn't even make it into the military because he was skinny and dumb. <laughs> right? I love his psychotic dialogue, though. I'm, I'm saying as far as werewolves go, Wolfpack, not the best, but, you know, he's a science werewolf. What can you do? I'm giving the book a skim. It did look pretty. I'll say that. GI Robot
1: may have shown up like later. In, future, in future appearances by the creature commandos. I mean, it would make like, sense. Like, why would GI Robot not be- f- isn't gi robot here. Right.
0: He's the, a robot. And no merman. It's like they were just three dudes. That's your team? Three He's dudes? a robot. Yeah,
1: like, oh yeah, because they added in like a Medusa. Yes, yeah, yes. They would expand the crew. You couldn't round it out with like an invisible trooper? Okay, yeah. So this issue pales in comparison to like future appearances by the Creature Commandos, who would expand the roster. They would, in fact, add in GI Robot. Uh, there would be like a Medusa Lady Soldier. It was more than just three guys. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, so yeah, this issue, you know, it's a fun, it's a fun kind of like artifact. Um, it's a skimmer from me. I agree. He's kind of a lame werewolf, yeah. you know, like why
0: are a lame wolf man. Why can't you be like a for real wolf man? You may notice Joe Patrick is back on his microphone through the miracle of technology.
1: Yeah. Guess what, baby? Things kicked back into high gear as, as Matt was giving his review. So I'm back in business. Here's fingers crossed that it will stay this way. As I move on to my review of preacher Cassidy blood and whiskey. It was a one-shot special from Vertigo Comics. The year was 1997. It's written by Garth Ennis with art by Steve Dillon, but Joe Patrick. It's a special. It's a one-shot special, you might be asking yourself. I said, I know. I'm going to mention that. Here's your solicit. The vampire Cassidy takes the spotlight in this special standalone one-shot exploring a fateful encounter in New Orleans. For years, Cassidy wandered alone, but when he meets another vampire for the first time in 75 years, he learns that not everyone treats vampirism the way he does. Special note, this is best read after Preacher 26. You know, the more you know. There you go. Preacher, the legendary Vertigo series, is a rarity among long-running comics. It has a number of tie-in specials and minis, as you might expect, but... They all rule. All of them. They're all great. It's true. I'm thinking hard, and I can't remember one stinker in the whole bunch. And if that weren't enough to recommend Cassidy Blood and Whiskey, this one shot is also written and drawn by the main series creators. Blood and Whiskey reads like it's just another issue of Preacher, and it basically is. We find our favorite beer-swilling Irish bloodsucker in New Orleans, where he discovers that he isn't the only one of his kind, except that this vampire is all about that Anne Rice life, a fact that makes Cassidy recoil in disgust. His reaction to Icarus and his gothic worldview is hilarious, and like most storylines in Preacher, the comedy gives way to a tragic twist that propels the cast forward toward the inevitable end of the series. The late Steve Dillon's work in this issue is excellent, of course, and the way his facial expressions tell you everything you need to know about what a character is thinking without any dialogue is brilliant. Cassidy, Blood and Whiskey might not be an essential issue of Preacher, but it does give a lot of great insight into one of the book's lead characters. And with the series main creators at the helm, there's absolutely no reason to pass it up huge by it.
0: So the character of Cassidy is very much an Irish foul mouth punk rock shithead, right? Like where's a cutoff jean jacket sunglasses you know like not afraid to throw fists drinking fighting sucking blood that's what he do you know don't right. mess with them right and when he becomes a vampire he realizes like okay i was an outcast in society as it was but i had a bunch of shithead friends i could hang out with now i'm a complete outcast so he goes looking for more people like him and when he finds them just like regular society, he doesn't fit in there at all, <laughs> right? Yeah, and, yeah. And, and it, it really it sets up the character so well for as we know him, like why he is the screw up that he is. It's just who he is. He's a poor, dumb, old Irish punk rocker, drank and party too much, and got bit by a bog witch on the way home and turned into a vampire. You know, <laughs> it's great, and it's a beautiful looking issue. These, and you're right, all those one shots. Must read stuff if you like Preacher. Huge buy it for me. Let's jump back into Wolfman Superhero World with Amazing Spider-Man, Volume 1, number 125 from Marvel. It was 1973. This is written by Jerry Conway with art by Ross Andrew. This is the tragic story of John Jameson and the curse of the man-wolf. It actually started in the last issue, but it's here we get the origin. John, the son of J. Jonah Jameson, an astronaut with a super hot fiance that calls her father-in-law Papa Jonah, which is kind of gross. That's (laughs) weird. And they're not even married. No. She's she's future. Yes. Future Future father She's a finance, right? While on a top-secret mission to the moon, John finds a bright red rock and he brings it back to Earth. Naturally. He talks a buddy at NASA into stealing it and giving it to him so he can wear it as a pendant. But one night while driving under a full moon, the pendant fuses to his skin and he becomes Manwolf. Last issue Manwolf had attacked his father and Peter who is still reeling from the deaths of both Gwen and Captain Stacy. He sees a JJJ headline about Spidey. And technically Norman, I well, guess. Yeah, I guess. He sees a Jameson headline about Spidey being a menace and decides, you know what, this one, and that's it. Enough is enough. He heads the bugle with the full intention of beating Jonah to death death (laughs) like he says probably you want to see what spider-man could do all right not to death (laughs) it sure sounds like he's gonna kill him but instead he catches the man wolf attacking jameson the fight continues in this issue as the moon goes down and john heads home where he's confronted by dad and he lays out his origin because dad during the fight looked at man wolf and went oh my god that's totally my kid. <laughs> I don't know how, but he figured it out, right? Peter ends up tracking down Manwolf and figures out who he is because he realizes the yellow costume John wears is an anti-radiation suit made from his space suit to block lunar rays. Only it doesn't seem to work at all. And Manwolf just wears it under his clothes all the time, like Mormon magic underwear, which I'm also pretty sure it doesn't do anything. Zing. All right. Spidey, of hey. course, <laughs> ends up tearing off the pendant, and Man Wolf reverts to John in front of J. Jonah Jameson and his fiance. Peter then does the most responsible thing you could do with a rock that turns people into werewolves and throws it into the East River. <laughs>
1: Don't take it to Reed Richards. No, it's don't like, give it to Doctor Strange. You are probably throw it in the
0: river. I'll bet right. you are blocks from the Sanctum.
1: You know, <laughs> like yeah, where you get just like, stop by. Hey, the guy lives in the the guy lives in the village. Right, like, you can't be that far away. Conway writes
0: one hip young Spidey here dealing with grief by saying bunky a lot <laughs> and yeah, referring bunky. to his dent girlfriend as gwendy <laughs> which he called her gwendy uh, yeah. i get it he was in turmoil but it comes off kind of weird here i love the lesson that jonah learns about trying to cover up his own family tragedies by punishing spider-man and there were some truly touching like father and son moments here i've always kind of loved it When writers take a minute to humanize Jameson, like just give him that moment where we go, okay, he can turn it off and he is just a person, right? Yeah. Andrew's art might not be as legendary as some other 70s Spidey artists, but there's some great work here. The Man-Wolf transformation is fantastic. While Man-Wolf is drawn as a dog-headed furry man in a yellow onesie, Andrew does a solid job making him look menacing Maybe not scary, but it was the early 70s, and Werewolf by Night wasn't eating people at the time either. So,
1: yeah, the
0: origin of Manwolf is silly. I'll go as far as to call it stupid, but it's classic Marvel superhero silly, and it's, I found it pretty hard to resist. Rocks yeah. turning people into werewolves certainly isn't the scariest way I've seen that happen, but they handled it with style here. Manwolf gets a buy it as far as werewolves go, and. I would love to know more about the image of him with a bow and arrow that I came across while researching this character. Spoiler, since we missed last week's show, we actually went into that on cover to cover last week. Yeah. Star God. It's a He's whole the thing. God, baby. And we came down on the final decision that I don't think there's another relative of just a side character in the Marvel universe that's seen as much shit as John Jameson.
1: <laughs> I'm giving this a buy. <laughs> I mean, it depends on it depends on your metric. Like Aunt May almost married Doctor Octopus, you know, and then her fiance was killed by the vulture, and then her her husband was killed by the burglar that created no, Spider Man. Sure, but like you know, and on, I'm and, not on saying and on and Aunt May hasn't seen
0: shit. I'm just saying, this dude turn into a werewolf. Uh John Jameson has actually <laughs> been uh,
1: like I mean Flash Thompson went to Afghanistan, lost his legs, true. became Venom, lost his Venom powers and became a different kind of Venom. That's true. So that's, true. that's a whole another thing. Yeah, we would have to compare and contrast, I guess. We would have to compare like yeah, I think that that we would have to like really like make a list and do some yeah. sort of scientific drill uh, down experiment. into it. <laughs> yeah. Things in this issue that I think are hilarious uh despite the circumstances is that um flash thompson and mary jane are both uh basically like hey harry hey peter f- your grief yeah uh it has been i'm not kidding four issues since the death of Gwen (laughs) Stacy.
0: Now I will say MJ is still kind of like, Hey, give Peter Rick and flash is like, screw that dude. And screw him. (laughs) dude." Yeah.
1: And it's like, and then, and then it's like, okay. All right. All right. Let's just say that in, in the, let's just like, if we add up comic book time, maybe there's mention of like a time jump or something. Maybe it's been some weeks. Okay. Peter. Yeah. Your girlfriend died. That's a bummer. Um like get out of your shell. Let's go have some fun. Stop being such a sad sack. That's fine. Harry's f-ing dad died. <laughs> Harry's dad died. <laughs> Not only did his dad die, but he was revealed to be an insane murderer. Sure. And only Harry and Peter know about it at this point. And so everyone is just like Oh, that's a bummer. Your dad's dead, Harry. But listen, we're going to go um, to the coffee bean and get some malted. But this was also during that time where
0: everybody hated
1: Peter Parker. Like
0: Peter Parker was a yes, shit ball. Yeah. Like, uh, and it's it's just screw like, you, Parker. Uh, Shut up, Parker. I, I read Parker. this and i was just
1: like, <laughs> these are your friends? These are <laughs> your friends. That's That's the most insane thing I've heard. The art is wonderful. I, Ross Andrew is a legendary '70s Spider-Man artist. The reason this art looks a little bit different is because it's inked by John Romita Sr. Yeah, which had me thinking at multiple points during the issues, like, "Man, this looks like John Romita Sr." That's why. <laughs> uh, it's because it's inked by John Romita Sr. And I had to just look it up. Um, also, team. Mortolaro, shout out to T uh the co-inker uh but yeah other than other than the um shit talking by the supposed best friends of our um of our heroes um this issue gets a buy it because it is goofy and it's fun yeah and man wolf wearing a space onesie uh is hilarious and I would really like to read more stuff about the star god as well I love the the trick that conway does and
0: it's this total fourth wall breaking stuff that he does where he's like comic book trick time to travel back in time 10 minutes when peter parker was doing this while that was going on you know and yeah, peter's yeah. like oh man i'm so mad about whatever and, th- and then yeah, he gets and, to and you know the action a- and conway goes He's like comic book time travel over. Here we are in the present. Now let's get to the yeah, battle. Yeah. You know what I'm just like yeah. That was
1: um, <laughs> that was totally a thing that writers would do back then. Oh, is I loved that, it. Is that they would address the reader directly. They would be like yeah. Now, dear reader, let's see what Aunt May is up to. Right. And and it's like they don't do that anymore. And um, it's cheesy, yeah. And it's not something that would work, I don't think, in the modern day. But. For books like this, it's like, yeah, it, it totally works. It fits. This book is charming and fun. Yeah. It's a buy it And not and scary. And Man-Wolf is rad. Man-Wolf's rad.
0: Not scary. Fundamentally not scary. Despite the <laughs> fact that his mood net- look- necklace turns him into a werewolf. Right. I mean, this is back in the day, though, when they were like, all right, we want a werewolf in the book. What, what do werewolves do best? I don't know, eat and kill people. Well, they can't eat or kill anybody. <laughs> what like, that's,
1: come? What, that's
0: the rule. Well, hold on.
1: <laughs> What's really popular right now? Moon rocks because it's 1970. Absolutely, yeah. Moon rocks, baby. Yeah. And he's gonna wear it on a shitty little leather strap around his neck and he's going to wear a vest that goes all the way down. Yeah. And Peter Parker's going to, to rip his it off button. like a skin tag. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. That was, gosh. That, uh, that was the scariest part of the whole comic. Yeah. All right, enough of this. Back to Dracula's. I'm talking about the future year of 1998 and Crimson number one. From Image Comics. It's written by Brian Augustin, scripted by Brian Augustin, uh, with art by Humberto Ramos. Yeah, these are hip, cool 90s vampires, baby. Yeah, they are, boy. Uh, Here is your solicit. Crimson revolves around a young man named Alex Elder, who is attacked by a gang of vampires while out late with his friends. Bitten, Alex is saved by Echimus, the last of an ancient race predating humanity who claims that Alex is the Chosen One. I've heard that a time or two. <laughs> Alex becomes the first and last of his kind, gaining powers beyond that of a normal vampire. As the Chosen One, he will bring the end to vampire kind. That's how the strangers always get me in the van, though. They're like, you are the
0: Chosen One. And I go, really?
1: I'm the Chosen <laughs> One? Yeah.
0: What? And then yeah, I'm kidnapped. Here I am again, yeah, naked in a cage, a- you know. Like, God damn it.
1: Once upon a time, before Jim Lee sold Wildstorm to DC, in fact just before, the same year even, the studio had an artist focused imprint called Cliffhanger, which gave us titles like Chris Bacalo's Steampunk, J. Scott Campbell's Danger Girl, Joe Madureira's Battle Chasers, and Crimson, co-created by a young, fresh-faced Umberto Ramos. The credits also says that Crimson was created with uh, story concepts by Ramos, Francisco Hagenbeck, and Oscar Pinto, who are people whose names you will not see in another comic book for the rest of your life. Probably not. Uh, I guess Crimson, maybe, but uh, that's about it. Crimson revolves around the eons-long battle between the forces of darkness, which includes Dracula's and Wolfman's, and the humans that want to exterminate them both. Crimson draws heavily from biblical themes, weaving the lore of the series into the Judeo-Christian creation story. It's actually a really well thought out, nicely detailed concept. Yeah. Unfortunately, I'm talking about just like the lore and the concept and, you know, sure, the, 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 the outline of it, if you will. Unfortunately, as with the majority of Cliffhanger's titles, the writing seemed like an afterthought. Crimson had the benefit of having the late great Brian Augustine as its scriptor, but his work here is plagued by try-hard teen dialogue and phonetic dialects that would put Chris Claremont to shame. Oh, yeah. Like if you think rogue is bad, I want you to read this story about the Jamaican woman vampire with the nipple tape. Oh yeah.
0: No, she she makes Gambit like legible.
1: It's just very, <laughs> yeah. very bad. Uh Ramos's art is definitely. Good, like, but he unfortunately succumbs to many of the worst late 90s bad girl trends that were prevalent at the time, including women with gravity defying breasts that could be counted on their own as full fledged characters (laughs) and costumes so laughably designed for titillation that the character might as well have been naked. Seriously, the crossbow slinging Monster Hunter gal is wearing it's a stretch to call them overalls. Uh they definitely have straps involved. Yeah, it's like a Vampirella <laughs> it, bikini, but even It's not smaller. even a vamparella bikini. Like, it is like it's like um it's like an it's like the it's like the harness for somebody like uh doing wire work at the circus. Sure, sure. But I mean, like, think uh,
0: about what was hot at the time. Like, look at look at sure. book. It was the same thing. Like the what was her name? Oh yeah, Red, Red Monica. She's Red Monica. Yeah. She's got gigantic boots. busting out of her costume. You know, like they knew what it's they were true. doing. It's true. Gen it, thirteen but, I mean, was hot as hell, and those kids were falling out of everything they wear.
1: You know. But I mean, that's that's also not a like that's not a defense either. That's I'm that's not saying not it's not defense. Good. I'm just saying yeah, it was it's, it, like, selling it was baby. It's popular. At, yeah. It's popular at the time. <laughs> it sold. So it did definitely sell. I remember enjoying this series back in the day. Like I read it for a long time. I don't think I ever read the ending, but upon revisiting Crimson number one, it might need to stay in the nineties where it belongs. I'm giving it a skim it because I think like the concept is strong. I just, it's just that the writing, the dialogue is bad and the bad girl stuff, like looking at it, it, like it's laughably bad.
0: Yeah. I remembered liking this a lot more too. And I was kind of excited to revisit it. And because we read it when it came out, sure, 1990, like 1998, we were right there, yeah. And you were talking about the biblical setup, and I remembered that I didn't remember that there's like six pages of it before we even get to the story. Oh, yeah, no, it's full on. (laughs) It's like, and then God did this, and then God did that, and then (laughs) God created.
1: Dragons. It's like, well, I don't remember that part. Yeah, that but okay. part
0: that seems a little fuzzy to me. But
1: whatever. And then God created cavemen, and then He's like, "Oh, f- these cavemen. I'm going to create regular men." Yeah, <laughs> and it was like, all right, well, fine. <laughs> there was there were some loose interpretations there, but regardless yeah, you know, of that, it's
0: uh, yeah, it's a that Bible was probably plot. Bible the plus. best part of the book. Come to think of it? Because the rest of it, yeah, like like hip, cool, 90s kid. Like, why are you like, telling me what to, all the do? Kids to Mom like, and like, dad. Like, I wanted all the
1: kids to get you. Yeah. yeah,
0: mom and dad weren't even like, are you on drugs? They were just like, hey, we're legit worried about you. You know, like your grades are slipping and, and you're not doing so great. Like, tell us you're not on drugs. Are you okay? And he's like, why you treat me like some kind of bozo? <laughs> like what? <laughs> and then he like storms, like I'm out of here, and like storms off with his friends, and they just like yeah, we're driving through New York late at night, like in the park, yeah, you know, like yeah, isn't this the best? Yeah, what could possibly bad happen? Like yeah, we're gonna get killed by vampires. Like of course, you morons. Like what? I don't know. I I didn't feel for him. I was happy when they died. I didn't care. The the art's good, but this was another time where it's, it was the 90s and everything was flash and there wasn't a lot of story behind it. It was
1: flash and no substance. Yeah,
0: and like, look, you had a vampire idea, I guess, but you didn't have a vampire story. So I'm going to give it a skim it because fans of early Umberto I, Ramos art, this is great art. It's fun.
1: but It is good art. Like, yeah, the art's good with bad habits. Not a good story. Um, It's not like, I, in defense of, the story. I I I'm approaching the story part of it as like somebody that read it for the majority of the run. I was like, okay, yeah, the story's there. It's just they don't really get to it here.
0: But even but the setup, yeah, this is like that was, this is my problem with the new Hellraiser. Like five minutes into it, I was just like, if they don't kill all the people I'm supposed to be rooting for, I want my money back. And I didn't even pay for it. And they didn't kill me. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't get my money back. <laughs> you know, but that's not that's neither here nor there. You know, like it's a perfect so example this- of late nineties flashy schlock that we make
1: fun of. That's all it is. Yeah. Currently there's a lot of, um, debate about like making sure artists get enough credit. And it's like, you guys, I mean, yes, you deserve credit, but don't you remember what it was like? Yeah. Don't you remember what it was like in 1996, 1998 when like people couldn't give two shits about who was writing the comic? Yeah. And even me at the time, I was like, if, if Joe mad wasn't drawing X-Men, I was like, eh, I don't know. This was around the time where people started paying attention. This is around the time that stuff, you know, we had Vertigo going strong. We had Transmetropolitan gearing sure, up. We sure. had even um, X-Men, the, uh, even X-Men while he was flashy, had a great writers on it.
0: Like Lobdell was really good on that run. You know, yeah, i I'm mean yeah It's bad.
1: like people. They should have learned this, this lesson is around the
0: time. Yeah. After Wildcats, after Spawn, after Cyberforce. Because
1: that, that was years before this.
0: And we didn't learn the
1: lesson. Like, <laughs> <Come Yeah, on. laughs> like like Image Image didn't need a separate imprint of creator-owned no. artist-centric uh, comics because that's really all Image was anyway. Right. But yeah, it, it, the writing is bad. Sub-tar. The writing is bad. Sub Yeah.
0: Let's get back to Werewolves and everybody knows the scariest werewolves Live in the ocean. I'm talking about Aquaman. (laughs) From Aquaman, number 42 from DC. The year was 1994. This was written by our guy, Peter David. We love him. With art by Jimmy Califiore. Here is uh, your setup. Meet Seawolf, a mercenary hitman who collects souls when he's hungry and turns into a werewolf when in contact with seawater and he can swim like hell. (laughs) We don't learn a whole lot about Seawolf here, other than he steals souls. The first one he stole was a guy named Lawrence Huff. He's stolen many others, and he's a werewolf that swims real good. I'm not going to get too deep into the Atlantean politics here because, as usual, there was a lot going on. Instead, we're going to focus on the Sea Wolf story for the sake of the theme. Now, I love Peter David. And I've gone on record very much liking Jimmy Calafiore. This is not some of Calafiore's best penciling here, mind you. My usual Aquaman complaints apply. No one looks like they're underwater. Why are there chairs to sit in and stairs to walk up if everyone is swimming, etc.? (laughs) But because Atlantis was a city that sank. I get it. But people are still walking up the stairs while others. No, are they're swimming. not. Nobody's yes, walking up the Joe, stairs. Joe, he is approached by Volko, who's like his hand of the king. Aquaman is sitting in the throne. People are standing around next to it, and Volko is walking up the stairs. And people are swimming around above them. And it's weird, Joe. But Seawolf, man. By the way, this is Sea Wolf 2 not Seawolf 1. There was another Seawolf that was a Nazi back in the day.
1: Right, that's, yeah, it's a legacy. He's a legacy. Why
0: the hell does Aquaman need to fight a werewolf in the ocean? You're telling me Peter David couldn't come up with a way to get this story done on the mainland. Really? And why does this werewolf need to be so damn complicated? He steals souls and turns into a werewolf but only at the touch of (laughs) seawater. And I guess he's also dead. The character keeps talking about how he's dead. I'm dead. I just have these souls that keep me moving, but I'm dead. So when Aquaman does stab him one time with his harpoon hand, all the souls he's stolen spray out of him like a popped balloon. And then he dies again or more? <laughs> I don't really know. It's not important because Seawolf is even more complicated. You see, he can hold on to the last soul that he stole. So he's yeah. not more dead again. And yeah, and then he's the new Seawolf. Like <laughs> the guy that he just killed is the new Seawolf. Later, he returns to swim after Aquaman and howl underwater more. <laughs> this issue felt like filler at best and it featured easily the most complex single story villain i have ever encountered and topo <laughs> animates a corpse like a marionette at one point <laughs> yeah you know topo, topo the octopus Aquaman meets seawolf because seawolf kills a guy in a boat throws him off the boat and yes he's uh, an assassin yes. that's and a I dolphin like, i don't
1: understand i don't understand the whole connection to seawater but the reason why he is specifically in the water today is because he is there to assassinate right, a person.
0: Right. So he throws the body overboard, a dolphin goes, Oh man, that's bad news. I gotta go tell the swimmer, which is a what, yeah. what they call Aquaman. Swims are Aquaman,
1: somebody killed somebody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so Aquaman's like, let's go check it out. The body is exactly and then under Topo the boat. Topo takes a break from playing the drums, and the, then yeah. The body then is then not
0: then moved at all. It's directly under the boat. Aquaman looks up and is like
1: you son of a bitch topo grab that dead body and let's scare this guy (laughs) no the dolphin takes the body under the dolphin takes the body down and shows it to aquaman and then they have topo take it up well okay well regardless it's still right under the the boat boat. the boat is still right above (laughs) them
0: yeah i mean like this was this was something seawolf is a terrible wolfman. Way too complex. Yeah, I, I don't... There's yeah. no reason for this whatsoever. I'm giving him a leave it. I'm giving this issue a leave it, too. It just pure filler. <sighs> Nothing to do with what's going I mean, on.
1: I... I
0: it doesn't push anything forward. There's three pages of the Atlantean crap that's going on
1: and then full Seawolf, baby. It, <laughs> I mean it pushes a bunch of subplots forward. I, it, it pushes can. the Atlantean. It pushes the Atlantean political stuff forward. There's also the um his like cold war with uh Triton, the son of Poseidon, right? right. And so they're like, there are other stories going on that are propelled forward, but this whole thing with sea this, I don't understand. Sea wolf. Oh my god, just terrible. Like I, I don't under like why does he turn into a werewolf when he's in contact with the ocean? I don't, I don't get it. Is Lawrence Huff the original sea wolf? Where's the original? Lawrence Huff is
0: the first soul that this sea wolf. Okay, but but who
1: is Sea Wolf One? Sea Wolf One was a Nazi. He's a Nazi. Yeah. But he wasn't Loren
0: Tuff. That's not No, the no, no. He was a different character. And he didn't collect souls. He was just a Nazi named sea not. wolf that actually turned into a werewolf. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, I'm going to stop thinking about it because yeah. I don't really need to know this information. Nope. You don't. Um, see, a sea wolf is, uh, is bad. He's a terrible character. Yeah, stupid. And I think that um, you made you you were not too kind about Jim Calafiore's art. I think it's the exact same as it always looks. I disagree. It, like it's the exact same as maybe it always maybe the inking looks. is at issue with
0: me nope, here. Then.
1: Nope. I don't I'm think it looks great. I'm here to tell you you are not remembering Jim Calafiore's work. correctly. I own a page of his art, and it's I awesome. know that you do, Matt. It and is. This awesome. is exactly how his work has always.
0: Looked. I think he looked way better on Black Panther.
1: I think he got better. Okay, well, what if I told you that this was only a few years removed from Black Panther? Doesn't mean that, you know, he doesn't improve that time. Okay. I'm going to give this a leave it because the Atlantean stuff to me, like, I don't find the DC Atlantis remotely interesting. No. And, um, Seawolf is stupid. It's a leave (laughs) it. (laughs) All right. Thank God, guys, we made it. My final review of this week is Captain Britain and MI13 number 10. I've been waiting 2 weeks to talk about it. It's from Marvel Comics. The year was 2010. It's written by Paul Cornell. The art is by Leonard Kirk and here is your solicit. The King of the Vampires is back. As if the hordes of demons that Pete Wisdom let out in order to defeat the scrolls in England weren't enough, now Dracula has entered the scene. What does he want with Spitfire, and how will an election help his cause? You better hope that Captain Britain and the rest of MI-13 have a way to defeat him. Vampires in the Marvel Universe aren't always evil. Even Blade knows that. In this series, he finds himself on a team with one, the World War II hero Spitfire, and he's even romancing her to boot. She's hot. Yeah, I guess when she got bit by a fire, when she got bit by a vampire, her uh, perfectly round basketball head went away. <laughs> it took care of that. But there's one vampire whose name strikes fear in the hearts of humans and monsters alike. Kenneth Fallsworth. I'm just kidding. It's Dracula. Oh, okay. Drac, Drac kicks his latest evil scheme into high gear in this issue, making shady deals with Dr. Doom and prepping his vampire cannons in his castle on the moon. Yes, I said it. All those words are they're true. MI-13 finds themselves in between crises. Captain Britain and Pete Wisdom are on a triple date with Eric Blade Brooks, Jacqueline Spitfire Fallsworth, and two, spoilers, doomed civilians, while Eric and Jacqueline's unlikely romance continues to bloom. Meanwhile, the Black Knight journeys to Wakanda with Dr. Faiza Hussein to reclaim the Ebony Blade, strengthening their bond as knight and steward. Writer Paul Cornell does such a great job progressing every character in the book while also pushing forward with the main plot. I love a team book full of camaraderie, and this series has it to spare. Dracula's plan to attack Earth with literal vampire moon missiles is so much fun, which makes the acts of true evil he commits in this first chapter truly chilling and unexpected. Art-wise, I absolutely love Leonard Kirk, especially when he's paired with the inks of Jay Leiston. Kirk is the sort of penciler whose work lives or dies based on the strength of his inker. 100%. That can be said about a lot of pencilers, but Leonard Kirk in particular, like John Romita Jr., for example, is the sort of artist where if you've got a bad inker, yikes. Yeah. But Jay Lyston works great with him. It makes Kirk's art shine. Uh, unfortunately, Lyston is not always present in future chapters of the storyline. So, you know, eh, that's why I bring it up. Captain Britain in MI-13 is one of the most underrated comic series of the past 15 years. And issue number 10 is essential reading for any fan of Marvel's King of the Vampires. And I'm going to say it. It's the last hurrah of the Gene Colon hammer horror mustache twirling. Probably, yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, slick back hair vampire. Because the next time they did a big vampire story was that shit with Frank Tieri with yeah. s- stupid sexy Dracula.
0: Yeah, I have a feeling we're going to see some kind of return to this Dracula soon, though. Like a, I hope so. Slightly updated, but not too much, because it doesn't need to be. He's a timeless no. figure. You can just, you can live it, and that's what they're living in here, and it's fan-friggin-tastic. The opening this is a buy-it, by
1: the way. I didn't actually say oh, it, but in case
0: you didn't know, it's a buy-it. The opening with, with between Dr. Doom and Dracula is astoundingly good, because Doom, not scared. Like, just like, oh, you want oh, yeah, to- yeah, no. The, and, like, Dracula's like, look, Going to be a vampire war. All we want is this. We want this one thing. Okay. Is that cool with you? And Doom's like, uh, Are you asking me if you can have it? Or are you telling me that this is how it's going to be? Because if we go to war, you lose and you lose bad. (laughs) And Dracula's like, Oh, really? You know, and they both just sort of have this like tete a tete. And it basically ends with Doom saying, Look, I'm going to entertain your little plan here. Cause I want to see how it ends up. Uh, but all you get is your sliver because I am allowing it. And Dracula's is yeah, like, yeah, it's, I it's, hate that guy. <laughs> you know, like, they hate each other. It's great. And Dracula like straight up racist. He was like, vampires are better than oh, everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to put up with this human crap. And he's like, I, especially we're going to have to take
1: out like, He's he like, keeps talking about the Moors, yeah, like like it's like okay, Vlad, this yeah. isn't like the 1600s right. anymore. And that's thought
0: doom is like the Moors. He's like, are you talking about <laughs> yeah, Muslims? Right. And he's like, so, yeah. So like
1: he's especially he's especially down on yeah. like Fiza and her dad because well he's
0: and, still and, carrying like his old school Dracula beef from his way yeah, back his, in the day,
1: you know, his, <laughs> Vlad, his Vlad the
0: Impaler. So great. To, no, this is a massive buy it, and if you want to do something like we recently saw those pictures of Henry Cavill in a Captain Britain suit. You want to do something with Captain Britain? You got a Blade movie coming out, set up Dracula, set up this war and have Captain Britain enlist Blade to come protect England. Please. Yeah. That because would be they interesting.
1: All, they all cuz they already they teased the Black Knight at the end of Eternals. Sure. And Blade at yes. the end of Eternals. You could bring them and both so, in. Like you could totally have captain britain and mi-13 as the, you're like your next storyline after blade one comes out why the hell not you
0: can have that and now it makes sense <sighs> for blade to be hanging out with the black knight because the black knight has nothing to do with the eternals as far as i'm concerned so well except
1: that he dated cersei in the comics, yeah yeah, yeah. And but that's, that's why minor and funny. who cares whatever well i actually thought it was nice that they paid homage to that deep guy i suppose man take us home for
0: our final werewolf story we go to the ultimate marvel werewolf werewolverine in wolverine first class <laughs> number 10 this is from marvel it was 2009 It's written by fred van lenty i will remind everyone we love fred van Lenti. yes yeah, so we do s- about to say some things about fred van lenty and i know he listens to the
1: show and he's a nice guy art by francis portella now our- uh, i just want to give uh, i just want real quick give a shout out um, to this terrible cover. Oh, yeah. This it's is so one of the bad. worst comic book covers <laughs> I've so ever bad. laid my eyes on. <laughs> and I don't know who this, it's signed Williams. I don't know which Williams is responsible for this, but they should be ashamed they of themselves. They are not credited in the
0: book, so I don't know. It's bad. Around this time, Sony Pictures had announced X-Men First Class, the movie. So Marvel, of course, had released several X-Series with the same name that had nothing to do with the upcoming movie. So here we are with Wolverine first class where Wolvie is training Kitty pride to be an X-Men, which puts this chronologically around X-Men 129, when Kitty was still calling herself Sprite for all you continuity wonks out there here. Logan being the fantastic professor trainer that he is drops Kitty in the woods so she can find her way back to her parents' cabin, you know, Survivalist training, I guess. But when, but when Logan gets back to the cabin, he discovers Lysa, a beautiful, disheveled woman who has tracked him down because she's a werewolf and she was drawn to Logan so she could mark him as her soulmate. It sounds like she's going to pee on him. Nissa, pee on
1: him, yeah. That's what you do when you mark, that's what right? a dog that's does what when it marks him. Lysa rolls with her
0: brother, the Wolf Pack Alpha, and several other werewolves, and they're more than happy to let the newly bitten werewolverine join their pack. You heard that right.
1: Looks, this guy is like big time saber tooth coated without actually being saber tooth. Yes, you heard that right. Logan becomes a full
0: on werewolf with adamantium claws because I guess we learned nothing from Captain America's time as Cap Wolf. It turns out Jack Russell of Werewolf by Night fame was also drawn to the same woods. He mentioned something about hearing more of his kind would be here, but. That's all we hear of that. Jack has reverted to his human form after drinking from a river where the evil Kodiak Film Corp, I'm sure no relation whatsoever, is dumping silver nitrate in the river. You see, this isn't your average gang of killer werewolves, Joe. With one horny girl looking for a were-boyfriend. They're eco-warriors, too. And they're going after the owner of the Kodiak Film Group, who just happens to be... Mr. and Mrs. Kitty Pride! Dun, dun, dun! They're ecological werewolverists. Yeah. That's really it for this issue. But in the next exciting issue, what follows is a lot of weird and slightly homoerotic wolf pack talk as they make their way to Chicago with their new buddy Wolvie, who I guess is playing along because. He is in love with Lisa here. (laughs) Eventually, Wolvie's healing factor kicks in. Well, she peed on him. Yeah, I suppose. Eventually, Wolvie's healing factor kicks in and he reverts back to plain old Wolverine. Kitty and Jack have a weird little team up that ends with Kitty crashing a car into a luxury cruise boat on the river in Chicago, which seems to only kill Lisa and the other werewolves on board. I guess there is a scene of Werewolvy holding off the wolf pack while all the rich people jump in the river, so whatever. Wolfie's a little heartbroken in the end, even though he definitely mentions he's still with Mariko at this time. Like, that's the first thing he says, and then he promptly yeah. falls in love with this werewolf. <laughs>
1: well, because he doesn't, like, the, the botched, the failed wedding of Mariko and Wolverine is, like, X-Men 175. Something like that, yeah, so... Drawn by Paul Smith, right? It's like not for many, many years after when this takes place. Right, So they're still together.
0: And that's how the werewolfy saga comes to an end. Now, werewolves not killing people is fine in the 70s, but this comic book came out in 2009. And it takes great care to let you know that these werewolves don't kill people because they want to keep off the cop's radar. They are werewolves. Why do they care? If the cops are tracking them, (laughs) like well, they don't want to kill cops. Why?
1: (laughs) They just want to. They respect the blue too much. What? It's dumb. Look, man. Once you keep, once you become a, once you become a werewolf cop killer, they're after you for life. I suppose,
0: but it's dumb. And for some reason, these werewolves seem to have much more humanity in their wolf form. By Jack Werewolf by Night Russell, who just goes absolutely bonkers in his werewolf form. But again. Doesn't kill anyone. Werewolfy was kind of fun, but Portella's art does not do any of these werewolves any favors. They look (laughs) bad. (laughs) Okay.
1: These are Uh, like Lissa in Wolfman form is not the sort of uh, werewolf that anybody, even Wolverine would look at and go, Hey baby.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Neither sexy nor scary. And I'm sorry. Yeah. These are, look, I get it. Werewolves are badasses. I get that. I feel like Wolverine just kicks the shit out of all these werewolves, right? Like, he well, can take down ninjas. A, he's like, a superhero. He's an yeah. X man. Right. Like, we've seen him take down, like, god level things <laughs> i don't know man. yeah uh, like this
1: group of idiots this group of like punk idiots should not have right much trouble
0: like them. they're just doing it to do it i and so the werewolves are fine they pay attention to werewolf rules they're but the thing is they're not badass at all and so i given that i i think they're bad werewolves i think this book was dumb i'm giving this a skim it because fred van lindy yeah. did what he did and i get it Marvel came and said, "We got a first-class book. Fart some stuff out, you know." And he went, "Ah, uh, okay." <laughs> and Wrote some things. Ugh, the art is terrible. Skim it.
1: <laughs> um, I mean, I don't think the art is that bad, but I, I do think that the werewolves uh, look. I'm sorry, particularly werewolverine Wolverine. Yeah. look ridiculous. They're bad. Um, like werewolf Wolverine
0: really just looks like an idiot. And like, if you tell me Wolverine's going to turn into a werewolf in this issue, it better look. Cool, <laughs> right?
1: That's the it easiest not, thing it to does make does him look, not look cool, cool, right? It should be the coolest. When yeah, this no, happens. it does not look cool, and because it amplifies his already ridiculous hair. Yeah, to like insane proportions it's it's really it's yeah like kelly jones kelly jones
0: batman ears proportions. right <laughs>
1: yes and i like this guy malik uh, malik or malik uh, that's lissa's brother or the leader of the wolf pack they're trying so hard to make us to give this guy saber vibes and it's like look man i get it you want to write about saber you can't you can't write about Sabretooth in the werewolf story well, cuz it doesn't make any sense for Sabretooth to be leading the team of werewolves. But I
0: also don't know if that's it or if it's just like we got to do a werewolf story and like this is how a werewolf dude would act, right? And like, well, isn't that kind of Sabretooth thing too? Yeah, but this, but is, they, this guy's a like werewolf. You didn't have you to know? make like, him
1: you didn't nah. have to make him blonde with shaggy hair sure, and like sure. it's just like stop it. Um I'm going to give this a skim it because I don't think the art is bad. Um I I don't like the the werewolf designs. Um, I just, that was the main
0: I, draw though. <laughs> like, I th-
1: but thing. I do think that the idea of Wolverine turning into a werewolf is pretty dope.
0: Yeah. Like imagine yeah. if, okay, imagine if like Knight Rider back in the day, what if he, what if the car was a VW, <laughs> you know, you'd be like, why am sure, I watching right. this show? <laughs> you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you got to I mean, have so, something uh, sexy and you're the or, wolf. the werewolves are supposed to be the sexy part, you know, like, come on. <laughs>
1: If you want to know more about the spooky comics we just discussed, check out our show notes where you can find links with more info about the deep, rich, multiversal history of the Seawolf. And you can hit us up on our Discord to give us your thoughts. Matt. Before we move on, we need to pick one of these fanged comics to enter the THN Permanent Collection. It's Captain
0: Britain and MI-13, there's no question. Yes, so Because not only is. is that just a great series, but they did vampires right. And you know how they did it right? Played by the rules. It's Dracula. This is what Dracula does. Let's just stick him in the Marvel Universe and let him do his thing. No dumb moon rocks turning people into vampires. No dumb, you know, like, werewolves stealing souls and swimming around. Like... Guess what? This yeah, stuff. No, they were just vampires. These werewolves and these vampires, they already have a rich history with
1: rules all set for you. Just do it. You're not going to make it better. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and, just do it. And <laughs> they, they also, like you said, played by the rules, because there was also this, like, if you read on, if you continue to read the, the story, there was all of this stuff about how they had to be like uh, Pete Wisdom had somehow set up a mystical barrier. And so the werewolves had to be invited into England. The vampires. As the- The vampire. Sorry. The <laughs> Draculas, on, <laughs> the Draculas, the Draculas had to be invited into England as though it were a personal residence. Exactly. And also like everybody they bit, like they had to wait three days for them to wake up and join their army. It's yeah. Like, and then f-. Kill Power is there from the Marvel UK episode of the Cosmic Longbox, and he does such a good job. He's such a sweet boy. He's not going to put up with any vampire bullshit in Jolly Old England. No. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Captain Britain and MI-13, what a special series that died way too young. It's absolutely this issue. Yeah. We
0: learn, you know, just... Make the rules work You don't have to change them You're not gonna make them better
1: <laughs> Sorry I mean but that's not You're real not. That's not all that makes this book great It's just a really great No movie.
0: I'm just talking about When it comes down to vampires and werewolves Just play by the rules And do it well Look at Werewolf by Night Kicked ass We watched it last week It was great <laughs> You know I did it Now that we are reconstituting in our proper timeline, we're sitting down for a heavy dinner of garlic fettuccine and silver nitrate, seeing as we just talked a bunch of smack about a bunch of monsters. Time to arm up some spiritual defense, Joe Patrick. We are going to have some serious gas after this meal, though, so why don't we discuss
1: our must-read picks for next week before we eat. How's that sound? Um, so bad news, I couldn't find any silver nitrate. All I could find were those tiny little silver um balls that you put on cakes and cookies and stuff.
0: Yeah, that's not actual silver. That's oh, silver.
1: Shoot. Yeah. Well, okay. So we have to make, <laughs>
0: yeah, we're, to
1: make do with the garlic.
0: We're screwed.
1: <laughs> My pick for next week is Miracle Man, the Silver Age number one from Marvel. I can't believe I'm picking it. I it's can't 499. Either. This I explain. I It's written by Neil Gaiman with art by Mark Buckingham. Here's your solicit. Neil Gaiman and Mark Buckingham's unfinished storyline, The Silver Age Begins. Young Miracle Man, the lost member of the Miracle Man family, is back. His last memories were of a 1963 world of joy and innocence. Now he's been thrust into the 21st century where his best friends have become gods and monsters. This is remastered with stunning new artwork by Mark Buckingham. It does include material originally uh, presented in Miracle Man 1985. Number 23 uh, plus bonus content. So technically, this book is partially or even mostly reprinted material with new art by Buckingham. But I'm here to tell you, I read last week's Miracle Man number zero. And I was, I like, I was all a tingle when it was over. I like, I can't believe it's finally happening after all of the false starts. When Marvel bought uh Marvel, got it from gaming. Marvel brought gaming into the fold. They got him to agree to it. And they were like, and we're going to call it Marvel man. Ha ha wink, wink, nudge, nudge. It's the original name. Nope. They're calling it miracle man. They are going back to what made it great. And that one shot that set up this first issue uh, is it's it's beautiful. I thought there was something I, with the Marvel excited. Man
0: name, like they they couldn't totally nail down the Miracle Man rights, and they got that sorted, and now we're calling it Miracle Man. I don't think it was like a no, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. it
1: was a no, it was absolutely one hundred percent a like we are Marvel and we're gonna call him Mir- Marvel Man because oh, we can. Okay. Because they had to change, because Marvel forced the company that published Miracle Man in the 80s, like Marvel wouldn't let them put it out under the original name, so they had to change it from Marvel Man to Miracle Man. And that's why the name changed to begin with. When it was brought back by Alan Moore in the pages of Warrior Magazine in the UK, it was still called Marvel Man. It's just that they were serializing it in Warrior Magazine and they didn't have to worry about the name of it. Look, I'm just going to say it. I don't care about Miracle Man.
0: I don't, I like, I read the the old Miracle Man and it's great. And like, it was interesting. And I, there was never a part of me who's like, I need more and I wish they'd update it. So we'll
1: see. They're going to have to win. Well, the thing hour. is, is that it was not, it, they didn't have a chance to finish. I understand. And that's kind of the draw. I understand. I. It's just, maybe it's been too long. <laughs> that's all I'm saying.
0: So not to take any, the, not to take this away from anybody that's excited. And I'm going to read it
1: and we'll see. I am, I, I, in fact, one of those people. So,
0: Eclipse. It was Eclipse Comics. Okay. My pick for next week is GCPD: The Blue Wall, number one of six. This is from DC. It's three ninety nine. It's written by John Ridley with artist Stefano Raphael. Here is your Bunch of solicit. Copaganda, if you ask me. Yeah. Hey, some of us support the blue. All right. Come on. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Still relatively early in her tenure as GCPD commissioner, Renee Montoya sets out to rebuild her department and restore public faith in the historically troubled PD, (laughs) no shit, during some of the worst conditions it's ever seen. But Renee can't do it alone. In order for her plan to work, everyone from topmost officials all the way down to the most fresh-faced new officers must contend with the harsh realities of being a symbol of law and order in a city of superpowered saviors and superhuman lawlessness. That's that's a nice way to put that. (laughs) DC is proud to present GCPD, The Blue Wall, by the stellar team of Academy Award winner writer John Ridley and artist Stefano Raphael. No Academy Awards for that guy, but hey, maybe you'll get there. This six-part miniseries is a thought-provoking and riveting story of everyday people trying to do good in the midst of a flawed system. No one said protecting a city like Gotham would be easy. Look, I love the stories of like the, we both very much enjoyed the Gotham Treaty, Gotham Central loved all yeah. that stuff. and it is interesting to read about, like, what does a cop do in Gotham City? What do you do? Someone calls, "Oh, shit, man. Uh, Scarface is down here, and he's got uh, you know, Clayface with him, the, the, the face gang they're calling themselves now, and they're tearing apart the whole, the whole neighborhood like. Okay, we'll come try and arrest
1: them. It's Two-Face, Clayface. Yes, and And Scarface. It's Two-Face, Clayface, and Scarface, and the poor ventriloquist is just like, oh, shit. Yeah, I love it.
0: No, this sounds great, Uh, and John really is super talented and wrote a really good I Am Batman book. The only fault of that book was we don't know when it took place.
1: <laughs> like, let's not do on? that again. We're not. We're not talking about that. <laughs> but it's true. Yes, John John Ridley writes good comic
0: books. Yeah, says. and I think this could be really good. I just could, I might have uh, to just turn my head off and not think about when it's happening. So,
1: <laughs> well, the GCBD is the GCBD. R- Renee Montoya is the commissioner right now because right. Commissioner Gordon was forced into retirement, and he's having his own uh, fun adventures in the pages, uh, the backup story in uh, Detective Comics. I believe it indeed. was indeed. And, uh, things aren't great for hold. No, Gordon. no. <laughs> yeah. I like the GCBD is, uh, is a great batch of characters. I, I hope though, what makes the GCBD great are the characters that were in the book Gotham Central. So right. Renee Bullock, yeah. uh, you know, Christmas Allen who may or may not still be dead depending on the continuity. Oh yeah. I forgot. Yeah. You know, I think uh, like still- that guy died and became the specter, which is Ooh. best not, don't Ooh. worry about it. Don't think about <laughs> it. Don't even think about it. <laughs> Um, that might yeah, be a good geez. one
0: that might be a good one for our question of the week this week like established comic book lore that you just refuse to acknowledge <laughs> I mean
1: yeah alright the THN trade of the week for October 19th is organisms from an ancient cosmos gross it's a hardcover from Dark Horse Comics it's thirty nine ninety nine. it's written and illustrated by S. Craig Zoller Here's your solicit. A supernatural sci-fi graphic novel written and illustrated by S. Craig Zoller. I just said that. The award-winning film director of Bone Tomahawk, Brawl on Cell Block 99 and Dragged Across Country. I've only heard of one of those movies. Bone Tomahawk was excellent. I have not seen the others. And the nations of the world jointly engage this enigmatic and incommunicative visitor with force. This battle results in large-scale destruction on both sides, but does not answer any of the questions that will haunt humanity. What are these utterly inhuman creatures? Where did they come from? Why did they choose to visit our planet? And, most importantly, are more forces on the way? For bereaved billionaire Carlton Land, renowned biologist Amy O'Donnell, and the brilliant but blunt USAAF chief scientist Kenneth Yamazaki, these questions must be answered in order to safeguard the future of the human race. This collects the original graphic novel, now published as an oversized hardcover. With black and white art, the story is a haunting odyssey that you will not want to miss. Here's a quote from Patton Oswald about the book. Like all of Zoller's work, organisms from an ancient cosmos goes from the maddeningly random to an unsettling meditation on how randomness might not exist in a personal or galactic sense. Whoa. <laughs> what a fantastic read, And quote. Patton, I don't know what that means. Whoa, bro. <laughs> he likes it. Um, but I, I, I saw a little bit of it when I was looking up uh, trades for the week, and it looks looks amazing this guy's wonderful this guy's like a quadruple threat he writes he draws he directs
0: he's like my god
1: (laughs) yeah uh so yeah and also it's you know a spooky alien story in time for spooky season totally i'm in you can find links with more info on our picks in the show notes and we always post our must read picks on our discord twitter and facebook every wednesday so you can make an informed buying decision at your local comic shop but please let us know what you thought of our picks in the new comics channel of our Discord.
0: Yeah, somebody's got to be out there pissed off that we're not following more of the uh, Garbage Pail Kid stuff that's going on at Dynamite right now, you know? Excelsior! That is it for THN 681. Next week, we're back to reviewing new comics. It's been a little while. We've got a lot to catch up on. If you want to wrap about this week's episode, comics you are reading or any of the weekly nerdy news we're following in our nerd news channel over on our discord hit us up on our live call and show it's called thn cover to cover we do it on saturdays at 10 30 central time you can watch that broadcast live on our facebook page I'm aware that there was a weird volume issue with Joe Patrick. I think we've gotten to the bottom of it, but we'll find out for sure this weekend. If you want to play along, you got to join our Discord. There you can learn how to chat and talk with us live on the show. Do not
1: forget, we set you up with something to talk about called The Question of the Week. This week's question is courtesy of Mark Tarrington via Discord in the most recent episode of Cover to Cover. Probably not the most recent by the time you hear this. Brian Domingos flatly refused to accept Namor is a mutant, despite Marvel repeatedly making it part of continuity. In fact, quick side note: I read the new Namor number one that came out this week today, and it in the in the descriptor on the title page where it's like, you know, born into a world he never made. Right, uh, Namor. Uh, is a mutant trying to make his way in the world today. That's it's like, shout out to Brian. There you
0: go. <laughs> Pounding it in
1: there. Mark uh, continues. I respect Brian's consistency on this issue and it got me thinking, what is the established element of comics continuity that you absolutely refuse to accept no matter how often companies try and insist that it's the case? I love this. <laughs> For, as an example, uh, in addition to Brian's example about Namor being a mutant, for Mark, his example is John Constantine being a superhero. I started reading Constantine in the original issues of Hellblazer and the idea that he's part of any kind of Justice League, even a dark one, is so weird to me that I cannot fit it into my brain. Fair enough. This is a wonderful question and I thank you, Mark, for it. Uh, please do keep your question of the week suggestions coming. Uh, we do this as close to weekly as we can and uh, your suggestions are always Necessary, needed, and appreciated If you can't make it to cover to cover live Shoot an mp3 to 2 at a nerd at gmail.com Or leave a message on the THN hotline That number is 402-819-4894 You could be internet famous just like Mark uh, We do ask that if you're going to leave a message Or send in an mp3 That you keep it short uh, Two minutes or less Because we like to share the air with the live listeners That are participating in the show
0: if you're new to the show and you prefer your werewolves in the pool, I assure you it's only because you have not heard enough. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box. You can find that at two headed THN is a listener supported podcast. It would not be possible without the generosity of donors like longtime patron, Richard Kovars, who I always want to say, Korvac. When I see his last name, <laughs> yeah, Richard
1: Korvac, or um, Richard Kovacs, like Walter Kovacs, aka Rorschach. Yeah, I go straight uh, to Korvac. I don't. Know. You know, like neither one of those is really um flattering. Itself. Right. So, so,
0: if you like, sorry, what, Richard. If you like what you hear every week, it's easy to support this show, just like Korvac does. You can sign up to be a patron at patreoncom backslash 2 nerd Well, you'll hear all kinds of exclusive content. Or you can just make a one-time donation via PayPal because you are just that cool. We just had one of our, another one of our patrons come up with a Patreon extra called The Cosmic Short Box that he wants us to do that I think is a lot of fun. Where we look at it like a, an issue that we gave a buy it, a skim it, or a leave it to and read the latest, you know, one, a series that we've been keeping up with and review the latest one from issue two or from issue one. So where
1: are we now? Should we still be reading this series? I love it. Cosmic Shortbox, it's fun. You know, it's it's sort of like it's sort of like a, a segment we already had but never did called. Um, it's like attack the stack or whatever. You know, yeah, catching up the on the pile, so which is a terrible name. Yeah. Um, attack attack the stack was a better name, but I think Cosmic Shortbox totally is such a perfect name that I am ashamed that we did not come. I up know. Back. Come on. <laughs> what, what are we doing? Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to Joshua Williamson, who just got the job of relaunching Superman uh, now that Superman's back on Earth. He's proven he's up to the task with his latest work on Dark Crisis. So good. Uh, He'll be on the flagship title with help from PKJ, that's Philip Kennedy Johnson, who will still be on Action Comics, and also Tom Taylor, who will still be writing the adventures of Jonathan Kent, who is not going anywhere it's nice to have some new blood in the Fortress of Solitude that understands that we need a little bit of hope in the DCU.
0: Yeah, and I'm feeling bad for Natasha Iron. She got redesigned. And it looks like she lost the whole lower half of her body.
1: No, <laughs> no, nah, nah, she's got lower half. She looks full-on cyborg from, like, the waist down now. She's wearing armor.
0: I don't know, Joe. You might want to look at it again because it looks like she's I've got like seen a little. It. She's spine wearing a thing. suit of. I get it. She's wearing a suit of armor. I, I don't promise. know, dude. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just tear off the skin tag that turns you into a werewolf. This is the two-headed nerd signing off.